Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the KASB Advocate Podcast. We will be running down the events of the week. Well, I guess it was Valentine's week, wasn't it, everyone, uh, starting on the 14th? It was. Um, we've had business up until today. I just got back from the State House, and uh, we're looking forward to next week, which is turnaround week. That's the deadline that most bills, non-exempt bills, are supposed to be passed by the first house over to the second. That's why it's called turnaround uh, or be dead for the session. But there are many, many, many ways that a bill can be not exempt, sometimes called being blessed or come up as amendments or whatever. But it's still a sort of a psychological halfway point of the session. Uh, what that means is there was a flurry of activity this week to get bills uh, out for possible action on the floor next week, limited hearing events. And to discuss all of this, uh, uh, my colleagues Leah Flyter and Scott Rothschild are going to help me through. We're going to try to move along. Uh, just, uh, just a peek behind the workings of KASB. We're joined by a lot of members of our KASB advocacy network who are listening in. We'll have a meeting with them. They've been invited to share questions in the chat, so we'll be watching that as well if they need uh, to keep us on pace. We're going to start really with a bunch of things that happened uh, last night, last evening in the K-12 Education Budget Committee. And Scott, Leah, I'm going to jump right in and kind of kind of lay out what happened. I want you guys then to to add any further color or explanation uh, to what to what we have going. And my my friends, uh, this is going to be a little complicated because yesterday the K-12 Budget Committee recommended three bills that included a total of seven bills that had previously had action by bundling several different bills and different concepts concept into a smaller number of bills. Uh, and we're going to start with um, House Bill uh, 2662, uh, which is the House version of the Parents' Bill of Rights and uh, Academic Transparency uh, Act. I think that's what it's actually called. Uh, that was a, that came out without too many other policy pieces into it. Uh, one other provision was added. So I, again, I'm going to briefly list the components and then ask Scott and Leah to comment on the drama that got us there. Number one, it includes an enumeration of parents' rights that are really does not change any law, most of which are already law or case law or kind of aspirational, but they kind of state you know, what, what parents should have the right to expect. Then there's a piece that has to do with uh, what districts must post on a parent portal that essentially is uh, material about what students may learn or have learned <coughs> or teachers have provided, uh, professional development materials, and a whole list of parental rights and procedures on how to get information or, or, or question or challenge these. Then a section that has to do with a review of library materials by which uh, materials that would meet certain standards that kind of read like, you know, uh, an R or X-rated movie, if you fall into one of those, you are to be kind of labeled. Doesn't, doesn't require you to take anything out, but it's sort of like you got to give a parent warning. And then a provision that would say that a teacher cannot be fired or, or basically negatively evaluated if they fail to teach um, a what is called in the bill critical pedagogy but not defined, or it, they can refuse to, to teach something which goes against a 
deeply held religious belief. The committee took out a provision that dealt with a teacher's affirmative defense on uh, matters of material harmful to minors, and they added the provisions of House Bill 2513, which would impose <clears throat> a new set of requirements on um, surveys, questionnaires, materials that would go to students around <clears throat> what some people identify as social and emotional issues. That came out of committee, essentially bundling those two bills after a hearing just the day before, I think. So, Scott, Leah, either what did I miss or what was in the hearing people need to know? Well, uh, thanks, Mark. I'll go ahead and go first. I, th I think what was interesting in the hearing was that overwhelming opposition to this bill, uh, not because uh, they oppose this information being shared, but as we heard, uh, and, and probably as anyone who has a kid in school now knows, this information is already being shared. Uh, and, and it's all, you know, on your phone. It's, there's there are all these Schoolology and Parent View and, you know, all these apps are available uh, so that people know exactly what's going on in their kid's classroom. And so um, I, I think... Um, you know, maybe we should call this bill the OK Boomer Bill, because uh, I think a lot of a lot of people uh, my age, the boomers, uh, did not know that all this already exists. So there was overwhelming opposition to this bill because they there were there were teachers saying, you know, th this feels like you don't trust us. This feels like we're being devalued. And uh, so I, I think that was kind of the the general tone. There was, you know, support for the bill, but that mostly came from uh, uh, groups. Uh, some are kind of national groups. Some are uh, parts of national groups that, you know, kind of have this ideology that, uh, you know, public schools uh, aren't uh, aren't informing uh, uh, parents like they should be. So that was kind of the takeaway I took from uh, uh, the uh, uh, committee meeting. Leah, what 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 did you see that? I agree, Scott. It was I was struck by. Um, I think we've kind of talked about this uh, previously, maybe even last week. But in the past, there were often more um, proponents of these bills than opponents. You would get sort of the ideological folks who, as Scott just said, kind of are in this case maybe driving a national narrative, and then you would get you know KSB and some of our friends who would be opposing it. But that was kind of it. But what what we were all really struck with was the the amount of testimony from school board members from parents from uh superintendents from teachers just talking about how how this is really a, a what uh, several people call this solution in search of a problem and so it was very heartening to me anyway to see the amount of really it seemed like grassroots opposition to this um parents bill of rights and and some of these other uh, similar bills. So, you know, always trying to uh, to give everyone's perspective and, and give everyone their due. Um, uh, that it, it is it is uh, certainly was striking that that people are arguing this information is available. Clearly, there are at least some people and some voices who who saying, well, that may not, you know, that may be generally true, but it's not true in my case or this case. We want to see that happen. But again, it is kind of striking that there was a lot of focus, it seemed, as kind of national movements and people coming in and talking about this. And, you know, I think it's important if you're talking to legislators to remind people, 
you know, Kansas has 285 school districts for about 2 million people. Um, Florida, I think, has 66 school districts and have 10, 15 million people. Um, many states, school boards are not what we think of in Kansas. They, they are, districts are larger. Um, it's, it's kind of a different environment. And I think one question that needs to be kind of talked about is, Maybe there are some concerns or issues, or we can find an example of a questionable lesson plan or professional development, but do you need to impose a law that requires everyone to do a set of things in every district when uh, the, school, the school is so much more uh, accessible? Uh, two things might mention. There were amendments, one of which I believe, and we got to apologize because we just got the amendments from the reviser this morning. I honestly haven't had a chance to look at them in detail. But one, I think, removes a requirement that I may not have mentioned of needing to go back and review library books. It would only be going forward and to push back the effective date of the bill and to offer some clarifications. For example, this came from uh, the committee chair, Christy Williams, who said, you know, this would not require teachers to post lesson plans, for example. I think we're still struggling with the issue of what exactly it does require. Mm -hmm. It's pretty clear that if you're using a textbook or you're using an, uh, an article, you're using a, a, a do they still have film strips? Film doesn't even <laughs> exist anymore, right? I guess if you're using a YouTube video or something like that, that you can cite, that's clearly covered. But there's this kind of zone that suggests, what if a teacher just says, hey, let's talk about this? Um, you know, is that covered? That that remains, in my view, something that isn't very clear. And I think for many teachers is that concern that, you know, we, we can post what we expect to do, and many people do that. But if there's any de deviation or any change, or today a substitute came in and did something a little different, and somehow that doesn't get noticed, do we get in trouble? So uh, as we're going to say in all of those, uh, so looking, we got, a, we got a question, talk about the amount of work. Um, you know, that's the biggest argument uh, we, is the additional work this would provide. Now, I got to tell you guys, as we, as we think about our arguments, it's a little hard to argue that this is already being done everywhere and there's no problem, but it would be a tremendous amount of extra work to do all this. And I think the problem is we still don't have that clear definition of what does this really add. So I think it's clear to say that tremendous amount of information is available but not necessarily everything, and we don't know what that would necessarily look like. Guys, am I, is that a fair way of looking at it? Well, and I think not only is we don't have a clear definition of what this would add, we don't really have a clear definition of why this is needed. There was a bill uh, similar to this in the Senate Education Committee, and Senator Dinah Sykes asked one of the supporters of the bill, Give me an instance in Kansas where, where some parent did not get the information that they were requesting from the school district. Crickets. I mean, you know, there may be instances out there where parents feel like, you know, they're, they're not communicating right with the teacher or something. But it seems like, you know, these are issues that can be much better handled uh, on the personal one-to-one -one level or, or one-to-school to district level uh, than, than imposing sort of a statewide uh, uh, system. Running a school district is more work than most people realize. 
From leading a diverse staff to protecting the health and safety of employees and students, the work of an educational leader is never done. It can be overwhelming to find solutions to the challenges facing a district, but you don't have to lead your schools alone. Kansas Board Solutions, a wholly owned subsidiary of the Kansas Association of School Boards, is here to help you find the solutions you need to support your students and staff effectively and efficiently. With a full suite of technology and insurance solutions, KBS offers an array of services to benefit your school district. We know districts continue to face a wide range of challenges as student needs change, staffing requirements evolve, district facilities age, and much more. As a wholly owned subsidiary of KASB, KBS fulfills its mission by keeping money in local schools instead of spending it on huge year-end bonuses or high-flying corporate retreats. All of this helps us achieve our goal of helping you build and run the best schools in the nation. With KBS, you are truly getting a partner in education that serves you with a purpose. Wondering what KBS offers and how you might use it? The answer is simple. If you're in need of a software, insurance, or resources solution, KBS should be your first call. Learn more at www.ksb.org backslash solutions. Question, question in the chat from our CAN network. Does the bill talk about any one or group reviewing these plans? It just seems like a ton of busy work that will not be followed up on. Well, I don't think the, so the, the material from the instructional or professional development material does not have to be reviewed. And again, let's remember, at least theoretical, this is all, you know, you all have an approved curriculum, I assume. You know, so there, there isn't any post review. I think the idea, though, is to make it available for parents or patrons or others to be able to look at it. So I guess, you know, it depends who you think is going to have to do the busy work. Again, the problem is identifying, I think, that that zone of materials which is either which is not posted or not designed that now would have to be added by the individual teacher or by someone and i guess that's the point that we've continued uh, continued to raise so we you know we can touch back on this a little bit um the uh, the interesting thing i think a couple other things let's mention more happened in k-12 but just we're kind of going in the order of a report we're putting together I would just note, take a little bit of break from Parents' Bill of Rights, that uh, the House Education Committee uh, recommended House Bill 2466, Computer Science, uh, after doing a couple things that we urged them to do. Uh, the committee removed a requirement or kind of a quasi-requirement that student, <coughs> students in the future would have to have a unit of computer science to graduate, and they really took out the hard requirement that districts offer computer science courses. They would have to have a, a plan of how they want to do it. It continues to have a framework to provide professional development and in-service for teachers. So I think I think that's a bill that, that would have some positive aspects and some uh, less less positive things uh, were removed. We also want to alert you that there are several things going on in the area of virtual schools. One is that the K-12 uh, Budget Committee, first thing they did yesterday is recommend uh, a, <coughs> a substitute bill for House Bill 2512, which has three provisions concerning virtual schools. It it basically creates a system where students 19 and under who've dropped out can get can be funded on a per course past basis which is a better funding rate 
than part-time students. So it's designed to, I guess, kind of create some incentives uh, to help drop out kids uh, in virtual programs. It also creates an alternative uh, calculation for graduation rates of virtual schools. There is a concern that virtual schools typically serve students who are having academic challenges and the feeling by, I think, some virtual schools there, well, it's not so much the virtual schools, it is the schools hosting the virtual schools that their graduation rates are kind of pulled down because they're choosing to offer these kind of <clears throat> alternative programs. And then third, the bill would prohibit virtual schools from offering financial incentives to get people <coughs> to enroll in those schools. Um, so that came out of committee. I will tell you there is perhaps a more substantial bill that is having a hearing on Monday. It's Senate Bill 499. This would do three things. Also, right now it has not been amended, it hasn't had a hearing yet. Number one, it would move virtual schools to a fall and spring count date. Uh, currently, they are counted on a fall date, as most schools are. Second, it would raise the per-pupil funding amount, which has not been adjusted for a number of years. Um, we don't really have a position on those. It, it makes sense to say that their costs will go up. But the third thing it does is says if a student, a high school age student, 9 through 12, transfers from a uh, non-virtual school to a virtual school in another district, and that student is either not scoring on grade level on state assessments, does not have is not on track to graduate with credits, or has failed two or more courses, the virtual school would get kind of like a waiting for those kids, but an equal amount of money would come out of the school that they came from. So it seems to set up sort of a financial penalty for students who, who leave the, the traditional school. You know, our argument is going to be that you shouldn't financially penalize a school if a student uh, is in one of these ca capacities because the school does not have complete control over, over that student and there's no requirement that the virtual school, um, well, do any better uh, if they're getting that additional funding for that. So those issues are out there. I'll pause uh, just to see whether Scott or Leah wants to add anything on that front. And then we're going to go back into kind of the school voucher and school choice areas. Scott or Leah, anything I'm you, forgetting? I think you've um, summarized that pretty well, Mark. It's kind of complicated, but you've it done is, a good job. But, but but watch it because it those yes. things if you got a virtual school you probably care a lot but that one bill non-virtual schools could as well so let's now move on to more action from the k-12 education committee uh, they voted last night to recommend uh, substitute for house bill 2615 which now bundles together three bills i believe the original 2016 allows schools to offer alternative education programs, which, which frankly you can already do, but this would sort of formalize a process so that you could, you could have programs where you would work with providers who would offer educational opportunities outside the school day or outside the school building, like, you know, internships or partnerships or community programs. This would sort of put that system in place. Um, we, we like that part of the bill as originally introduced. It would have required state board approval. And we said in testimony, you know, we really don't think that's necessary. It isn't required now. It is likely just to kind of slow down the process. They, they made some amendments in that area that I think are positive, but they also did a lot of other things. The big thing they did in the second place was to add the provisions of House Bill 2550, which is the Education Savings Account Bill. 
So remember last year, the House passed as part of a big education plan, this program where uh, families could take their base state aid per pupil, put it in a separate account with the state treasurer, and use that for private school costs or uh, educational expenses. Member passed the House, was part of a bill that failed by one vote uh, in the Senate. So there's certainly momentum behind it. It was amended to apply only to accredited private schools, but it would include uh, private schools accredited by state or national accrediting bodies, not just the state board. So it wouldn't apply to home schools. It wouldn't apply to kind of non-accredited you know, academies or whatever, um, but it is more than just state accredited schools. And then it is very open because it would apply to any student that is currently in a public school eligible for free or reduced lunch, which is about 45% of the kids, or has been identified uh, by school district as needing at-risk services. So certainly over a majority of kids in the state would, would qualify for one of uh, these if they <coughs> went into effect. And then finally, they added in um, another pretty big bill, and that is House Bill 2553. This is the bill that essentially says a student any school are not a resident to qualification and this is where it gets tricky because one of those qualifications is capacity and according to the bill it would be up to the school board to determine what your capacity is with no guidelines and statute and it says the board cannot discriminate on grounds of things like race ethnicity athletic ability uh, academic ability but could have other criteria. It lists attendance or discipline. So there's a whole zone in between that is not really defined. It was then further amended that said your board would have a year to basically develop your policy on what you consider capacity, but before adopting it, you'd have to have a public hearing so that your, your community, your public could come and, and tell you what, what they think of this. Um, did, did, you get, did you get it right? Um, and in that hearing, anyone in attendance must be allowed to speak. Now, we haven't seen the exact language. Presumably, you could set time limits, um, but you would have to, as the committee does, um, but you would have to let people speak. So that bill now then includes a kind of innocuous alternative education expansion, a massive private school choice expansion, and a bill that would sort of require everyone to have open enrollment, but not necessarily and not clearly. Scott, Leah, what am I missing there? Well, um, did you did you mention? Oh, uh, did you mention the part about you have to adopt the policy at a public hearing and and homeowners have I, to I be... did you okay yeah, you, ha you have your to have a your audio hearing. broke up on my end okay I'm sorry, sorry about that uh, sorry and I apologize if people miss that um, your your policy would have to be um, you'd have to have a public hearing to allow uh, reference was often made to homeowners but really I mean anyone in the public could come and basically address whatever your policy. Now, again, remember, virtually every board probably already has a policy on non-residents because all but nine districts allow at least some non-residents to attend. So again, what's kind of unclear is exactly what you could do or not do. Because I guess presumably you could say our capacity is where, where we're at right now. We can't take any more kids. 
Presumably, the idea is to say you would have to define some criteria, but you would have a lot of freedom in what that criteria would be. I think uh, I think another I'm, I may be mistaken, but I think another part of that amendment that requires the hearing and requires the ability for people who are there to speak is it also includes people who are watching the meeting virtually. Scott, that's a good question. And again, I have not, I think that portion was withdrawn. Remember guys, those of you that don't follow these, uh, while it is common that amendments are offered in a written form called a balloon amendment, if you want a little insider jargon, but (laughs) um, committee members can also just sort of offer conceptual, well, I didn't really mean that, or how about this? And then, and then the staff has to go back and draft that. So like I said, we, we don't know until we look through and actually see the final copy of the bill, what it looks like. Well, that, and I'll, that got confusing. Sorry, yeah. Scott, go ahead. And I'll just add, you know, uh, an observation that, that, that during this discussion, there were several legislators on that committee complaining about school boards not being open enough. And I thought that was, there was a little irony there when they're bringing up an amendment that no one has seen and there has been no public comment on. Not very transparent. <laughs> there's one more bill in this package of material, and I'm going to ask folks to see whether there's anything uh, in our chat. Um, and that is uh, House Bill 2511 uh, is the bill that would require school districts, all of you, to allow any resident student who is a homeschool a part-time student, a private school student, someone who lives in your district but is not attending your school must be allowed to participate in your activities on the same grounds as any other student. In other words, you don't have to guarantee them a spot on the team, but you have to let them try out. You can charge fees, but they have to be the same fees that you would charge other schools. And then that was paired with House Bill 2514, which requires school districts to offer part-time enrollment to such students. Most districts already do this, we believe, but if not, you would now under this bill, if someone says, you know, I just want to take, I want to take a course in band, I want to take advanced math, you know, you, you would have to give them the option to do that. So those two are paired there. So those are the three bills that came out of the education committee. What we don't know is when they will run or if they will run on the floor. Chairman Williams has indicated her her belief that eventually these and perhaps other policies will be paired with um, uh, the school funding provisions, which would typically happen later. So we're honestly not really expecting a debate on the floor next week before turnaround. It could happen. And of course, this is an opportunity now for everyone to learn and study. And so I would say to our listeners, you know, if you're interested Take a look at those bills. Study what they mean to your district. What what changes might they make? Um, KSB has supported some of those provisions. We've opposed a lot of those provisions. But look deep and see what it means for your district and your community. Hey, Mark. Sure. Maybe we should mention uh, we are going to be putting out a report today, and it's called Where We Stand, and it will have a rundown of these bills and several other bills that are that we've been working on um, thus far in the session. So keep an right. eye on your email or on the KASB website for that later later on um, Friday, December 18th. Excuse me, February 18th. February. Friday, February 18th. February. 
Okay, let's hit a couple of other things uh, before we wrap up. One is just to note um, that the Senate Education Committee <coughs> voted this week to rep- recommend essentially the governor's budget, um, full funding of the school finance formula, some of the enhancement the governor's made, a early payment uh, of some of some uh, um, long-term debt as a result of skipping some school payments, um, uh, reversing the late school aid payment, which is a really complicated issue, but probably a good thing to do while we have the money. They recommended that, uh, that and, and that is a, a, a positive step. Um, there have been several efforts to address that CAPERS issue. Might note that um, today the education Senate Education Committee voted to recommend Senate Bill 341, which will allow those districts that receive federal impact aid, probably about 30 districts or a little less, get some federal impact aid because they have like a military installation or some other large presence. Under current law, uh, that uh, 70% of that aid is deducted and goes to the state under the theory that, you know, we have a pretty equalized school funding system. But this bill is seen as more military friendly. Apparently, all other states now do this. And so uh, if this bill passes, that would happen. Interestingly, and and this is important, the committee also agreed to add um, (coughs) a version of a bill that was never worked last year, Senate Bill 31, that changes the capital improvement or bond and interest aid formula. The technical thing that it does is remove Fort Leavenworth from the calculation. Most of you will have no idea what that means. What it means is this, for bond bond issues approved after July 1st of this year, those districts that receive state aid will likely receive more state aid than if we hadn't done this. And going forward, it will kind of keep those lower wealth districts from losing aid over time. Now, there were a couple of other provisions pay attention to. One is it extends the cap on bond issues. For several years, Kansas had a limit to how how many bonds could be issued in any given year based on what had been paid off. Uh, that that <coughs> there was a sunset on that. This bill, as I understand it, would extend that. And it removes virtual students from the calculation of assessed valuation per pupil. Now again, some of you will have no idea what that means. So here in in a nutshell, district with a lot of virtual students are able to count more kids than they have to provide buildings for. That makes them appear less wealthy and get more state aid. This change would say if your enrollment is kind of increased because you got a big virtual school, they'll take those out, which would means you would probably not qualify for as much state aid because of that. <clears throat> Any comments on that? We got one more pretty big bill to talk about. Once again, you know, Scott Lee and I have been watching and testifying all week. This is House Bill 2690 also in the K-12 Education Budget Committee, and it is scheduled for action in committee on Monday. And this bill, I guess, it, it does a couple things. Number one, it creates the Every Student Can Read Act, which really is just basically saying districts should teach reading well, have some policies, notify parents, pretty consistent with what the state board is already directing. 
But then much more significantly, it would allow in about three years the high-density weighting to expire. The high-density weighting factor is extra money that goes to districts if you have over 35% of your kids on free lunch, and the higher that percentage is, the more you get, okay? So this is designed to help districts with <clears throat> the highest concentration of low-income kids who tend to have the greatest academic challenges. That provision is sunset. It's due to expire. KSB, most other gr education groups are arguing that that should be extended because that's about $50 million going to some of the districts with the highest need students. This bill would allow that to expire, but it would then take that money, that $50 million, and put it in a separate pool, a uh, separate account that could then be used to pay bonuses to teachers in buildings with 35% or more poverty that show um, increases on academic indicators that are spelled out in the bill. State assessments, local assessments that the state board has approved, or at the high school level, a combination of assessments, ACT scores, dual enrollment courses. So there are several factors looked at. But what it basically does is say, we're going to take away this money that is currently going to programs, interventions, and salaries and then put it in a pool that you only get back for teacher bonuses on a on like an every other year basis based on improvements. We testified against that bill, but there's clearly some support from leadership on that bill. The one other thing we would note, it appears, and no one challenged this uh, <coughs> in testimony, is that the maximum amount that a school could get is based on its regular enrollment or total enrollment, not its low-income enrollment. So what this would appear to mean is that the highest poverty districts would still be capped on how much they could get, no matter how well they do. So that bill could have sig severe, <laughs> significant uh, uh, impact on the about um, well, over half of our districts do get impact aid, um, some of our largest, some of the most. So that has a hearing coming up, no action, but it's, it's pretty important. Um, guys, any comment on that or any other bills we need to touch on before we wrap up? Well, uh, the, the only other two, I was thinking of the uh, two bills that came out of the Senate Tax Committee. Oh, yeah, please do. Uh, I don't know if the super uh, important right now, but they uh, one would um, uh, uh, establish a four day back to school uh, sa uh, sales tax holiday in August. So, you know, first weekend in August, there'd be a four day period where people could buy school supplies and things like that uh, and uh, not pay the state sales tax. Uh, and uh, and the other bill that came out of the Senate Tax Committee would would increase the uh, proper the uh, uh, 20 mil statewide school levy, the exemption on property from uh, 20,000 to 65,000 dollars. And originally the bill was from 20,000 to 100,000 dollars, and that would have created a 150 million dollar hit, which would have had to be replaced by some other source. Uh, what what the fi what the fiscal effect is by the the reduced uh, uh, part of it I don't know but uh, those two bills came out of tax and will be part of 
I guess, the general larger discussion about what we're going to do with uh, taxes this session. Scott, I see we have a question. Um, uh, question. I don't know whether Leah can see the whole thing. Yes. Um, go ahead, Leah. The, the question is on that property tax exemption that just gives property tax relief, but does not change funding. Is that correct? Well, as I understand it, the fiscal note said that uh, there would be a hit to the to the uh, there would be a hit of over of about 150 million dollars, and that would have to be replaced somehow to keep to keep us whole. Yeah, the assumption I think is that now. So remember your basic school finance formula. You know, you aid equal funness your local is general state aid general state aid is what the 20 mills brings in and and the balance is state general fund which is why if the 20 mills brings in some years more than expected general fund goes down a little bit this would be a big reduction in revenue from the 20 mills and so the state would theoretically make it up if they didn't make it up it would be a reduction in base state aid couple other bills I'll mention very quickly if you're following. Those of you that have been uh, interested in perhaps the school bus stop arm bill uh, again came out of committee uh, like it did last year. We'll, we'll see whether that uh, makes it to the House floor or not. Um, and uh, Senate Bill 62, which updates vision screening, came out of the House committee without amendments. That's something uh, KSB is actually supporting uh, both of those bills. A uh, lot of other hearings this week, but those are the ones that really came through. And the last thing we might mention, we are expecting continuing discussion on the topic of working after retirement. Several hearings were held or built, hearing were held on several bills at the beginning of the week, but we have not seen action in that committee yet. So keep posted on that. So so where we are, I think, I'll, I'll uh, let Scott and Leah see if they have any final thoughts. And just remind everyone, uh, Thursday of next week, which would be the 24th, 25th, whatever, whatever 24th. that is, 24th, 24th. thank you, is, uh, is the dead, is legislature should wrap up that day. So we hope to have our next advocate podcast. We'll really be able to have a, a better idea of telling you bills that are moving and the status of some other bills. Um, and then the legislature actually takes a short break. They're off next Friday and the following Monday before they plunge back into work um, throughout uh, March as the session marches on. Scott, Leah, any other things I'm missing or just uh, reflections from the week or things that school, school leaders and those interested in schools need to know? Well, uh, I just again uh, reiterate, I think uh, Mark put together a uh, where we stand document that we will be releasing later. Uh, it goes over some 50 odd bills. And uh, I think Mark at the beginning said there was a flurry of bills and that, that's an apt description. Uh, so we, we, we have a lot to uh, keep uh, keep tabs on. You know, I think we just want to emphasize that, as, as we said at the beginning, let's close with this. Uh, if you're interested in education, which you probably are if you're listening to this, 
kind of pay attention to these bills, understand what they might mean for your district, and absolutely tell your legislators what you think. What, whatever side you're on, whatever position, they can't make good decisions unless they hear from their constituents. It's important that school leaders who understand what these might mean share those with your legislators. You'll have a chance this weekend and certainly uh, in, the, in the coming days as some of these bills will go to the floor. I think we'll wrap it up with there. Thank everyone for uh, for listening, as always. And you can certainly send questions to the KSB Advocacy Team, and we might just even ask them on one of our episodes. Thank you very much. The world of education becomes more fast-paced every single day. From new legislative committees focused on education to breaking news to ever-changing ideas on effective leadership, the opportunity to learn and grow never goes away. KSB knows how hard it can be to stay on top of all the information in front of us. Understanding that challenge, we're excited to announce the launch of two new podcasts, The Advocate and CasbyCast. The Advocate brings you the latest news in the world of politics and education policy from our in-house experts Mark Tallman, Leah Flyter, and Scott Rothschild. With bi-weekly shows throughout the year, you will never miss what is happening in Topeka, D.C., or anywhere else political news is being committed. CasbyCast is our new weekly podcast held by John Heim and the executive leadership team of KASB. The group will cover all things education and sprinkle in a heavy dose of humor to get your Tuesdays started right. The good news is you're already listening to one of our new shows. If you enjoy the content and want to add another podcast to your repertoire, subscribe to KSB Live Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.